Well, good morning. It's good to see most of you smiling. Those who are not smiling, you're still asleep, I guess. We're glad you could be here this morning. We have a number of special things uh, today. We're going to be having a baptism, Lord willing, in just a few moments. But we also will be having an opportunity for us to be reminded of what our Lord has done. And we're going to be having our Lord's Supper, a celebration of the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to be having a meal afterwards. So stay with us, all right, all day long. And hope you're rejoicing, Lord. We're going to sing songs of praise to him. We have a lot to be thankful for. And we never, ever want to forget to be grateful to our wonderful Heavenly Father who's done so much for us. From time to time, we have some special prayer requests. And today, I want to mention to you the homegoing of Mrs. Gloria Broad. Now, Gloria and her husband Bill were members here at Victory a number of years ago. Gloria was a kindergarten teacher at Calvary Baptist Christian School for many years. All of our children uh, had the privilege of having her as a kindergarten teacher. And I think we might even have somebody was, did Jenny have her as kindergarten teacher? Not for kindergarten. What's it that? Okay. So she left a wonderful legacy, a testimony for the Lord, and they will be having a, there will be a memorial service for her on Wednesday, I believe, at Calvary Baptist Church in the Bethlehem area. So if you're interested, more information about that, please let me know. But be praying for the family. Um, it's, a, it's absolutely just, I think about these verses uh, sometimes, one particular, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And here was a, a godly woman who lived a fine testimony for many, many years and had a powerful effect upon young children. And if you read some of the comments of uh, these people who are now grown adults of the wonderful, wonderful example she was to them, and they still remember that from back in uh, Cuban Garden days. It, it just, it's just absolutely amazing, astounding. So anyway, we'll pray for the broad family and comfort for them. And I'm going to open up in prayer, and then Larry's going to lead us in the hymn, and then we're going to proceed with having a baptismal service. Heavenly Father, indeed you are so good to us. Thank you for loving us, providing a wonderful salvation, hope in, in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We come today, we want to worship you, not just go through the motions, not just be at another service not just to interact with our friends, but Lord, beyond that, we want to give exaltation and glory to your wonderful name. I pray for the Broad family, encourage them in this time of sadness and yet hope and joy, knowing where their loved one is. I pray that you would uh, use this service uh, to bring glory to your name, but then we do want to continue to pray for our nation. Uh, the needs are great. Words cannot adequately explain the needs that we have in this, this wonderful land that you've blessed us with. We pray for those in leadership, that they would stand for truth and righteousness. And, and Lord, uh, those who don't really know you, I pray that you would open up their hearts to truth and receive your wonderful salvation. Thank you for the freedoms that we have been blessed with. 
May you pray for our missionaries as they faithfully serve you in different parts of this world. Provide protection, form, encouragement. And now we ask in this service that you be honored. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Larry, you lead us in him. Okay, for our first song, please ask you to stand for it and turn to number 461. I will sing the wondrous story. Be seated. Right. It's uh, it's very special for us to be able to have uh, someone get baptized. I want to make a, just a few preliminary comments about this. Many of you have either been baptized yourself or you've watched and witnessed one, uh, but sometimes we just need to be reminded what baptism is. Uh, this is a Baptist church, and though it's a Baptist church, way beyond that, we desire to follow what God has in his word. And when you read the scriptures, you find that the way a person can be sure of heaven, certain of heaven, is by seeing themselves as a sinner 
deserving God's judgment, which is very serious, judgment we deserve to hell, but we realize that Jesus paid for our sin in full on the cross. He didn't stay on the cross, though he was in the grave, he rose again, he is a risen Savior. Now, you know, you're familiar with the, the account in Scripture, and we understand that that baptism does not bring salvation. It's only Jesus Christ. Baptism is a symbol, a picture of what Jesus did as he died, was buried, and rose again. And when a person gets baptized, if they're following God's word, they are wanting to show by way of testimony that they really, truly have believed in Jesus Christ. So while the water does not save one from their sin, it nevertheless is an important symbol showing the fact that they no longer want to live for themselves. They want to live for Jesus, the one who died for them and rose again. And so when a person chooses to get baptized, uh, they understand or should understand that this is a step of what's called a step of obedience, one of many steps of obedience to, to follow the Lord. And it's something that every Christian who identifies himself with Christ should follow through with. If you're here and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, start there, accept Jesus into your life, make sure you know him, but then if you are a genuine Christian, you need to follow the Lord in baptism, and that's obedience to the Lord. In fact, Jesus himself was baptized as an example. He didn't have sin, but he was baptized to show what was going to happen to him not too long after that, within a few years. But we, we want to follow Jesus' example, but we also want to follow commands. And we have in Scripture that when people got saved, very shortly after they got saved, they then went into the waters of baptism. So we're going to have a baptism at this time, a young person who has accepted Christ previous to this time. I met with her, talked with her, uh, with her mother, and I've interacted with her several different times. And we're going to have the privilege of watching, observing her get baptized by her granddaddy. Call her Pop Pop? Pop Pop. Okay, that's a good name. That's the way I am, Pop Pop, too. Different Pop Pop. So, um, can we have uh, you come down now into the baptismal pool? John, we're ready for you. All right. You introduce your lovely grandchild as well. Would you do that? Good morning. This is my granddaughter, Zelda Brinley Job. And if you were here last week, and Ray, can you hear me? Yes. All righty. <laughs> last week, I know there was an issue there with hearing. But uh, last week, if you remember, okay. last last week uh, uh, when we were here, the pastor invited everyone here to uh, to uh, um, speak of their the day or the year or whatever month, whatever that they got saved. And one of the things that uh, struck me was that little Zelda raised her hand pretty fast. And she said, I got saved when I was five years old, right? 
Okay, well, she's seven years old now. Uh, two years have passed, and now she wants to get baptized. And so, that's what we're going to do. Uh, my wife and I have been, been saved since 1980, for 43 years. And if you would have told me in 1980, when after I got saved and my wife got saved, that 43 years later, we, I would be baptizing my granddaughter, I would have said, you're crazy. But nonetheless, uh, it's a really a blessing to be here today and really a blessing to baptize my granddaughter. And uh, we, there was a discussion, as far as I understand, about goggles in here, but uh, that was kind of <laughs> quashed there. But nonetheless, we're here this morning, and uh, let me turn around this way. The Bible says in Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And Zelda this morning is saying so. And she's telling each one of you that she's trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she intends indeed to walk with him going forward. And so we invite you, I invite you. Uh, it's really a blessing. It's always been a blessing to my heart over the years to see uh, young people, old people, uh, to just take a dive into the baptismal and be obedient to the Lord. And it's, it's amazing is that about Zelda is she's a little courageous little girl. And uh, my wife and I were talking about it a little bit over the years watching uh, uh, adults being scared to go into the baptismal, to, to take that step of obedience. And uh, here's little Zelda, seven years old, and she's going to take that that, uh, that step of obedience. All right, Zelda, step on there. You hold on my both arms until you finish your nose. You ready? Okay. I'm going to tilt you back. Okay. Okay, here you go. I'm not going to drown you, and you don't have goggles, okay? Zelda Brindley. On the basis of your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your intention to live for him going forward, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You ready? Okay. And there's always room for more. Right. Anybody ready? All right. That's wonderful. Uh, before I asked Larry to come, a few years ago, our, our, two of our grandchildren who lived in uh, South Carolina, uh, they had accepted Christ, and they're kind of around the same age, and they wanted to get baptized, and they wanted Pop-Pop to baptize them. I didn't know how that was going to work out, but the church was very similar to ours, and they allowed me to do the baptism, so it was very, very special to baptize grandchildren. I mean... It's just, just marvelous. So I could not I could not say no to John when that opportunity came. So that's wonderful. Yes. Well, let's let's think about that one there. We'll talk afterwards, okay? But we'll, definitely if you are interested in getting baptized, we do want we do want you to to move forward in this. And uh, let's talk through these things, all right? Larry, you come please, lead us in a few more hands. Next song I ask you to turn to number 463. Oh, it's wonderful to be a Christian. 463. Life has purpose now and never had before. There is meaning to each day and even more. For joy and peace I can't explain is mine. 
since I found new life in Christ my Lord divine. Oh, it's wonderful to be a Christian. Oh, it's wonderful to be God's child. Oh, it's wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Oh, is it wonderful to be redeemed, justified, forever reconciled? I can go directly to the Lord in prayer. He had told me I may boldly enter there. And he listened as his promises I plead. I have found rich mercy there and great relief. Oh, it's wonderful to be a Christian. Oh, it's wonderful to be God's child. Oh, it's wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Oh, it's wonderful to be redeemed, justified, forever reconciled. And the hope of heaven's glory thrills me so. Where I live with Christ forevermore, I know that as wide as things of earth I loosely hold, I have eternal riches better far than gold. Oh, it's wonderful to be a Christian. Oh, it's wonderful to be God's child. Oh, it's wonderful to have your sins forgiven. Oh, it's wonderful to be redeemed, justified, forever reconciled. Next song, I'll see you turn to number 304, Come to the Cross. This is a Ron Hamilton song. I'm not sure if we sung it here, ever sung it here too much, so I'm going to ask Don to play it through first once so we can get how it goes.
Chairman are dismissed. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible, or at least listen, to the message from the book of Jonah. We're in Jonah chapter 4, and this is a chapter which I'm not quite sure if you understand this, but this is one of the saddest chapters found in the Bible. Maybe not the saddest. Obviously, the crucifixion of our Lord is way up there. But it is a very sad chapter because we have this prophet Jonah who was given a very specific mission to go to the city of Nineveh and preach a message of repentance. Instead of obeying God, he, he fled, he ran, went the opposite direction, and God had to send along some pretty serious lessons to him. The storm came up. He uh, was thrown overboard. The great fish came along, miraculously swallowed him, and then he survived. And while he's in the belly of this fish, for several days he cries out to God and asks God to have mercy upon him. God did show mercy to him, and the fish got sick and sped him out on dry ground and Jonah decided, as he was, right before he was brought up by the fish and had the fish's mouth, uh, he decided, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to follow what the Lord wants. I'm going to go. So he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches a message of repentance, something that is just absolutely mind-blowing, mind-boggling, that this very wicked city, all the people from the oldest to the youngest, all different economic levels, they all turn to Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear of a city that responds like the city of Nineveh? So the message of God takes place in this very heathen, pagan culture. The word of God touches their hearts. They repent. And you would think, you would think, that Jonah would be absolutely just rejoicing about that. There has been some time period that has transpired uh, from the time he was uh, brought up onto the dry land and from the time that he actually started preaching that message. We don't know exactly how long. It seems like there was a period of time there. And as he starts to think about what is happening and what has happened. Instead of him having a jubilant spirit, he goes into a negative mode and begins to have a self-pity party. And you see him more concerned about himself than his own welfare than he is about these Ninevites who just turned from their sin and became believers in the God of Israel. So that kind of just gives you a very bird's eye view of this. 
And I want you to follow along with me as I read Jonah chapter 4, and you'll see right from the very start, Jonah has an attitude problem. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? and also much cattle. Heavenly Father, we want you now to speak your word to us. We ask that your wonderful Holy Spirit might minister to our hearts and understand that you want us to follow you and that you want people to be saved. There could be somebody who has come today. Uh, they're not like the Ninevites, but they're nevertheless not in right relationship with you. I pray that they would see their urgent need of accepting you before it's too late, turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you encourage us as believers to be concerned about those who do not know you and reach out to them as best we can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us have heard these expressions. Perhaps we've said these words at one time or other. I really want you to know what's in my heart. Or you may have heard this expression, I like it when our hearts are in tune with each other or on, are on the same wavelength. Or I wish you could just understand what's in my heart. Now, undoubtedly, if you've been married for any length of time, you've either said those words, maybe even this morning, or you've thought them, or you certainly have heard them at one point or other. Very appropriate that we 
in a husband-wife relationship, try to understand the other person's heart. But have you ever thought about really trying to understand what's in the heart of God? And seeing if you line up with his heart. For I think it's easy for us to just kind of go through Christianity. And even though we are a recipient of the very mercy of God, somehow or lose sight of the fact that God's mercy is right coming from his heart. And he wants us to have that same kind of heart. How quickly one can forget the promises one makes to God. Now we, again, don't know exactly the time framework here, but it really wasn't too awful long before what we have recorded in chapter 4, that God extended some wonderful mercy to him. He made this promise, I will pay that which I vow. And now, a short time later, he has forgotten all about it, forgotten about this promise. I, I would like you to think about this as we're working our way through this message, that you do some self-examination of your heart and that you would look and see, do I have a heart like God when it comes to people who don't know Jesus as their Savior, putting it in a New Testament context? I don't have to tell you this. If you listen to the passage, you're familiar with it. But Jonah's heart didn't match up with God. Not at this point in time. And you and I must continue to examine our hearts in light of God's ways and try to make sure the best we can to have our heart measuring up to God's heart. Now, when our hearts don't match up with God's heart, there are several things that happen, for lack of a better word. But there are several directions, goals, things like that get distorted. First of all, if our hearts don't line up with God properly, the purposes of God become unacceptable to us. We don't like what God does. Oh, we're not talking about disbelieving in God. We still believe in him and so on. But we can begin to react negatively. You saw this. Bible says that Jonah was displeased. Literally, the word here is he was irritated or he was annoyed. There's another expression that's used here. He was angry. Here, the idea is he was burned up with. And then he begins to reason with God and recalls why he fled in the first place. All right, for those of you who are following along, the message is the last several weeks. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was the capital city of the wicked nation of Assyria. And they were arch enemies of the Israelite people. They had done atrocious things to the Israelite people. And Jonah didn't want to go, not just because of his the safety issue, is because he didn't want these people to get saved. He didn't want these people to repent. And God has to send some amazing lessons to him before he finally gives and says, I'll go. But now 
He starts to think about this. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. There's a 40-day period. Waiting, waiting, thinking God's still going to destroy them. And yet in the back of his mind, he knows how merciful God is. And when he realizes that these people are not going to be judged by God, struck down, he basically says, God, you did the wrong thing. Now, he may have not said it in exact, these were exact words, but God, you are not fair. You could possibly get to a place where you begin to react negatively. My wife was talking to somebody who was uh, speaking about some of the things that are going on in our culture, and she was, this lady was saying, don't you think God should just be striking these people down? I won't name any of those people that she was maybe thinking about, but there is, can be a tendency in us when we don't see God act and work the way we want him to act and work, we forget that God is very merciful. And the very fact that somebody may actually be acting wicked, totally against what we think is right, totally against what we think is good for the United States of America and our freedoms, we don't maybe always realize that God is extending to them a little bit more time so that they can respond and come to a place of repentance. We just want God to deal with it right away. Why doesn't God do something about this? Get these bad people out of the way so we can have good people come in. Now, we all have that natural desire to want good to happen so we have peace and prosperity. I'm not diminishing that desire that we have. But be very careful that you don't start to get a distorted view of God, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And here is Jonah, kind of like, like, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to do this. That's why I didn't respond right away. And so... He is not responding the right way. So we begin to react negatively, questioning God, thinking God's not fair. Why is God allowing all these injustices to happen? And then we begin to misunderstand God's purposes for ourselves. Instead of delight that these people got saved, he, he says, I, I just... I just want to die. Um, kind of a give up attitude. It's like, I quit. It's not worthwhile leave me living the Christian life anymore. Too many problems. It's just, you know, why doesn't God do something to these wicked people? And we begin to feel sorry for ourselves, and Jonah felt sorry for himself so much so that he just wanted to die. Come back to that passage again, so you see this in the, in the passage of Scripture, the text. In verse, uh, the end of verse 2 says, For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentance of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
So he misunderstood God's purposes. God still had other things that he could do and, and so on. So I just take my life. That's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm through. And then he has a distorted idea. He misunderstands God's purposes for others because he wants God to just destroy them. Isn't it ironic? The very actions that God extended to Jonah and Jonah wanted mercy, Jonah chapter 2, the very thing that he wanted for himself, he doesn't want for these people. Be careful about this because you may find yourself in need of God's mercy, but lose sight of the fact that God wants to extend mercy to other people. You want God to do to someone else what you want done to you. So this attitude of lacking mercy was just the very opposite of God. So you begin to react negatively. You misunderstand God's purposes. And we can be reminded of Luke chapter 15 where the elder son, he just could not grasp a hold of the fact that his father would forgive his brother. And so he had this critical attitude about what was going on. It can keep happening. So you misunderstand God's purposes. You go through religious motions, but your motives are wrong. Did you, did you pick this up? But it says uh, this in verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life for me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Guess what he's doing? He's praying. Verse 2 says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee. Here he is praying. He's going through the motions, the religious motions, but his heart isn't right. You know this. You can pray and your heart isn't right. You can pray and even not want your heart right. But you want God to somehow do it your way instead of his way. So if you wonder if your heart is in right tune with God, please keep this in mind. If it's not in tune with God, you start seeing things in a very distorted way. In fact, the Lord asked him two times, the Lord asked Jonah two times, is it right for you to be angry? So, you lose some friends. You get hurt from a church. Your plans are interrupted. Your hopes are dashed. Is it right for you to get angry and upset? You know the Christians can get better? Yeah. And there's warnings about that. We're supposed to put it away. Ask God to forgive us. Repent of it. But Christians can get bitter. And I've met more than one who have actually been at least honest enough to say, I want to tell you something. I'm a better person. A man sitting in my office one time, believer, he said, because of a great injustice happened to me, he said, let me tell you, Pastor, I'm going to die a better person. A bitter person, not a better person. And there's a big difference, that one letter. Do not ever allow anything that's going to fester bitterness or resentfulness, the grudge in your heart. Here is Jonah. He knew academically what God was like in his nature, and he knew God was merciful, but he was not accepting the fact that God 
wanted to save these people. And when he realized that God was saving them, he, he started to have a pity party and said, God, just take my life. I think it's good for us to look at another characteristic, and it's obviously closely tied to this. Our whole value system becomes distorted. Our strong faith starts to turn into doubt. He sat outside the city, verse 5, verse 7, that he might see what would become of the city. Instead of, after seeing this repentance, having a complete confidence that God had saved them, uh, let's see, maybe God will still give it to them. You start the process of downward spiral of doubting God. You question God. Why? Maybe. Maybe God will change us around. So your strong faith turns into doubt. You have to see something before you actually believe it. Reminded of Thomas, he was like that. Your physical comfort becomes preeminent. And oh, Jonah's comfort became preeminent. You know what's happened. You readily discern physical needs, but you pass right over the spiritual lessons. Here's God prepares this Jack and the Beanstalk, well, no, not that, but something like that. A gourd that grows up very, very rapidly. Now, I'm just say this for, just kind of understands. I have a little garden, and that little garden, I plant some things, and God has caused a few things to grow. I don't know why, but God's allowed some plant to grow so fast and so furiously, there's no cucumbers, there's no zucchini. I have no idea. Somebody asked, what is that? It's growing so fast that you almost could see it growing. It's just covered the whole side, going up here, going up, going. It's covering the barbecue grill we have up on the terrace. I've never seen anything grow so fast as this. But I, of course, I've been contemplating, you know, message and thinking, this is the closest I've ever seen it's something to grow that fast. And uh, we know God was doing this for Jonah. We don't know. I don't know what kind of plant it was, but it grew very, very fast. So fast that it actually covered over Jonah as he was not too comfortable with the hot sun. And he thought, this is great. This is wonderful. But God's using a lesson from nature to try to convey to Jonah a spiritual truth. God is saying, listen, I'm going, to be, I'm going to show you this by this object lesson. So he causes this gourd to rise. Jonah just, oh, wow, this is great. I've got some shade now. And then God's not done teaching a lesson. God causes some worm to come in there. And shortly, this whole plant withers very quickly. And Jonah, oh. And he's so, so distressed and upset about this because he's in so much discomfort. He has no shade. He's all, all concerned about the physical comfort. And he's lost sight of the spiritual lesson that God wants to teach him. Now, Jonah is so concerned about himself and this lack of shade over him. Uh, notice it says... Verse 6, the Lord God prepared a gourd. So God's working here, right? 
to deliver him is great. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the Lord, but God prepared. Now you see this again? God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gore that withered. And it came past when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it's better for me to die than live. Can you see this? He's really having a pity party. Not only is it like God really did destroy these wicked people, but look at me. I'm suffering now in the sun. I mean, I had a little read for a little bit. Now, look what's happening. I, I just feel like dying. Say, well, what's happening? Here in a certain sense is, is, is the application. We can get so caught up with the conveniences of life that we forget, that we forget that God is allowing some of those inconveniences to happen to us to get us to depend upon him more. So, what's the pattern sometimes? Retirement. Look what's happened to my retirement. Look what's happened to inflation. How am I going to be able to? And our mind becomes focused on the bad instead of focusing on the great God who's good, who can provide for our needs, he can take care of us, and even when things that we wish we had we no longer have, it's God who's superintending that because he wants us to trust him, not in uncertain riches. Now please don't lose sight of this. We can get so caught up in a soft culture, easy living, that we forget the bigger picture that God wants to save people. He wanted these people to repent, and they repented. And instead of Jonah just saying, this is the greatest revival I've ever seen. I mean, this is phenomenal. I've got to go back to Israel and tell these people, like God saved the Ninevites. Instead, he's sitting in here feeling sorry for himself and has forgotten what God is trying to teach him. So, our physical comfort becomes much more important to us. Our career, our popularity, and I guess the list could go on and on. We become more interested in the temporal than the eternal. And boy, is that easy. Let me read this to you. If you become so attached to the gourd because it served you, and this is God speaking to Jonah, and gratify your desires, a gourd upon which you expended no thought, no labor, no toil, no sacrifice, no care, no planning, no watering, no tending, no pruning, a gourd of short duration which grows up quickly and as hastily passes away. Shall I not permit my love and pity to flow forth unstintingly to multitudes of my creatures and work of my hands and crown of all my creative acts nurtured, fed, and provided for me by me, those who will never go out of existence. So here's Jonah. He loses, he loses sight of what is really meaningful. Now remember I told you that this is a very sad chapter. Part of the reason why it's so sad is not because the Ninevites repented. 
The sad part is it doesn't seem like Jonah, at least at this point in time, learned a lesson. So God basically is leaving us with a scene that's kind of just left in her, just left in her mind. Jonah, you're so concerned about yourself. I extend all this mercy to you. You're so caught up in you. You're more concerned about this gourd that's withered away than you are about the souls of people that are lost and now I've saved them. It's probably not appropriate to use, but I'll use it anyway. And kind of like the punchline is, Jonah, will you wake up? I'm a merciful God, and you should have a heart like mine. These people need to be saved. Can you see Jesus saying something similar to that in the New Testament? As he gave the great commission to disciples before he left, go and evangelize all, this, all nations. Can you see Jesus saying he saw sheep on the hillside without a shepherd? Can you see him saying things like this? You hear him saying things like this? The fields are white unto harvest but the labors are few. Send therefore labors into the harvest. Oh, how God wants to save people. He is a merciful God. Now, getting down to the reality of this, I ask you the question, do you have a heart like God? God has been merciful to you. He's given you his salvation. In a certain sense, he's delivered you from that great fish. He's put your feet on dry ground. You have a purpose. You know you're going to go to heaven. You have eternal life. You are forgiven. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You have the Holy Spirit. God has marvelously changed you. Have you forgotten that God wants to do that with all the people around about you? Your neighbors, your enemies, those ordinary people at work, whoever. God wants to extend mercy to them. Do you have a heart like God? I don't know who it was said, who it was that said this, but he said that when he was sit and watched people, he said something like this. All I could see was people walking by me who were lost and needed the gospel. I don't know exactly the circumstances surrounding that, but there should be something in us that feels sorry for people who don't know the gospel. They don't know. And then as we have this heart like God, we do the best we can to share the good news with somebody else. If there ever was a book in the Old Testament that is a mission book, it's the book of Jonah. What would God say to you? Would God say something like, you're just caught up with you. you're All you're concerned about, you know, all you're concerned about your physical life and your comforts and your freedoms and so on and so forth. Don't you care about the loss that are around about you? 
I'm not here to say exactly how God can use you. You don't have to be a preacher, evangelist, publicly. But every single child of God should not just count on the preacher to give the message. Not just count on an evangelist or a missionary that goes off the zone. Every child of God should be actively involved in sharing Christ with your children, your grandchildren, other family members, extending out, whatever you can. You share with them the good news. And then when you see them get saved, come to Christ, you are rejoicing in the mercy of God. Aren't you glad God has been merciful to you? Then be merciful to others and try to reach them with the good news. Heavenly Father, reminders, Lord, we don't even know the end result of whether Jonah learned a lesson, but Lord, it leaves us with this this uh, sobering reality of that we need to be having a heart like you, sharing others, sharing with others this message of salvation. Oh, dear God, please, if there's someone here that does not know you, may they come to know you personally. Please, dear God, reach in their heart and, and save them. We know you want to. You want everybody to be saved. Please, dear God, May they see that they need to make a decision for you, turning from sin and believing in Jesus as their Savior. And as each one is a believer here, that you'd help us to have a heart like you, a heart of mercy, and reach out to others as best we can to share with them the good news of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed just for a moment. I ask in just a question, not to embarrass anybody. I don't call anybody's name out, but... You say, there's a prayer need that I have. I'm not sure that God has saved me, but I want to be sure about that. Could I pray for you? Just simply put your hand up and put it back down again in this moment. Say, Pastor, I want to make sure that I have eternal life and, and I put my trust in Christ. I'll not call your name out, but I would like to pray for you. Would you raise your hand for someone like that today? You're here today and you know God has saved you. and Oh, maybe you can't relate to everything that Jonah attitude, but you know, you're, you are not going out to the mission field of those around about you and sharing the gospel. You need, you need to be that because you know you want to have a heart like God. Could I pray for you? Just simply put your hand up and put it back down again. I'll pray for you. Okay, someone else. Put your hand up. Okay, someone else. Share Christ. Maybe you've done in the past. Okay, now is that hand. Someone else. Thank you, dear God. Uh, for these who, who have indicated a need of a, their heart, Lord, help them to be with kindness and love, sharing the good news, give them courage to what to say and how to say it. Help us to be obedient uh, to you in this area. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you take your hymnals, please? And let's, let's turn to 641, The Passion for Souls. And we're going to sing just a couple verses of this, but it's, it's put in the form of a prayer that we're praying to the Lord. And I, I want us to sing the first and the third verses of A Passion for Souls. 641, would you stand please as we sing?
Give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, a passion to see the lost. Because Jesus, I long, I long to be winning men who are lost and constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning the story of pardon to tell. The third verse, please. How shall this passion for souls be mine? Lord, make the answer clear. Help me to throw out the old lifeline to those who are struggling near. Jesus, I long, I long to be winning men who are lost and constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning the story. may be seated. All right, once a month, traditionally, we have a service to remind us of what Jesus has done on the cross. In a certain sense, baptism is the reminder. We saw that. Here is another symbol that was set up by Jesus, and he expected the disciples to follow. Baptism, if it's done correctly, is a one-time occurrence after a person comes to Christ. But the Lord's Supper, we call the Lord's Supper communion, is something that's supposed to be practiced on a regular basis. No prescription is given in Scripture. It has to be once a week or once a month. But it is supposed to be done on a regular basis. We happen to choose here, generally speaking, once a month. It is not in any way something that is meritorious. In other words, it doesn't save us. We don't get brownie points for doing it. This is, this is something that God has set up, another symbol of recognizing the tremendous sacrifice Jesus paid when he went to the cross of Calvary. And so when we're involved in this, I, I, I know we have a number of children, and it's good to get be able to hear this as well. Please understand this, children or uh, children with older bodies, all right, Please understand this, okay? We, when we're participating in this communion, taking broken bread, small little wafer, and the grape juice, the fruit of the vine, it's not like, oh, I'm getting a little bit more saved. This is going to make me safe. I'll probably get to heaven if I do this often enough. That is wrong thinking. This is a symbol, an emblem, a picture of what Jesus has done for us. How many times I've done this as I've interacted with some children, trying to explain to them about some of the symbols, and I take a picture out, my license or whatever, a picture photo, and I point it in front of them and I say, who this, who is this? And they look at it and say, well, that's you. I'm holding it out here. I say, well, talk to who? Talk to this person. 
They look at me like, what? Is that really me? And they get, they get it. Only take them a few seconds. Oh, no, that's just a picture of you. Now, it's an important picture, right? Especially if I get stopped by the police, that's a pretty important picture. They want to see that. That mugshot, whatever. But it's not me. Can you understand that? This baptism is not the reality of salvation. It's a picture of the reality of salvation. So when you're doing it, in essence, when you're participating, you're, you're just saying, thank you, Jesus. As I'm taking that breath, thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for me, for my sin. And you're taking the fruit of the vine, the, the grape juice, you're saying, thank you, Jesus, you paid it. You paid the price with your blood. You shed your blood for me. And I want to thank you. And so we examine our hearts. We look at our hearts. And if you are truly a child of God, you truly have been saved, uh, then you can actually really grasp hold of that. How important is it? I'd say as you examine your heart, make sure you're saved. And then make sure that you, as best as possible, you're trying to live for God and trying to please him with your life. So you don't have any unconfessed sin in your life, all right? And you, you don't have any bad feelings to other people. You've got that taken care of. And you know you're in, as best as possible, you're in fellowship with the Lord. And then you can participate in it. If you have a problem with somebody else, and you're not able to take care of it right now, well, then you need to get that taken care of. So the next time we have this, you're going to be able to participate in it. Now, we don't police it. You have to make your own choice about this. And hopefully parents, grandparents, whatever, can give it, guide their children. Guys. So I'm going to uh, ask the men to come at this time. I think we have a couple men that are going to help us with the distribution of the bread first, and then and uh, they'll distribute that, and I'll give you a, a heads up as to when, and then also whether for the vine. So let me pray, and then we'll have distribution. Lord, we love you and thank you for this wonderful salvation, hope we have in you, and your sacrifice of your son for us so that we could have eternal life. We praise you. And now, Lord, as we reflect and think about this wonderful gift that you've given to us, I pray that our hearts would be surrendered completely to you, yielded to you, so that we'd love you even more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Lord Jesus gave instruction to the disciples, and part of that instruction was uh, in reference to this memorial supper, we call this. He said, uh, take eat. This is my body which was given for you. Eat. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. And that's a key point. We do it in remembrance of what our Lord has done as his body was broken on our behalf. So eat and be thankful. And then after the eating of the bread, there was the distribution of the cup, and that was, of course, to symbolize Jesus' blood that was shed on our behalf so that we could have forgiveness. may be familiar with that hymn, Calvary covers it all. Aren't you glad 
that Calvary did cover all. We can be sure that the Lord has forgiven us and that we have eternal life. Drink and be thankful. Thank you, Lord, for reaching into our hearts with your love, your mercy, your grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve this eternal life, but we thank you for saving us. May we go from here rejoicing what you've done for us, but we, we know we can serve a risen Savior. Help us be a blessing to someone else today. Help us rejoice in you every day, even though the circumstances may not always be ideal. You never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a couple closing remarks before we go. It's nice to have with us uh, Guy Shepard, who has not been able to be here for quite a while. So he's in the back here. Maybe get a chance to say hello to him. I know he's been wanting to come here. He's had some health issues, and uh, he needs our encouragement. I see we have a number of guests here today. I know we also have some family members uh, that have come to witness this uh, baptism. We're glad you came to join us today. Pray for us. Uh, we, uh, we have great hopes. We live... We have some hurdles to go in and some steps of faith here at Victory, but God's good, and I see God working, and he will continue to work. So we had some decision made last year to, or last week, to try to, like, kind of move ahead. Let's not get too quick about shutting down things, and so we're hopeful God's going to provide. You keep praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop coming and Fellowshipping is supporting, even if you're not part of this ministry, we ask you if you would pray for us as well. Uh, I've been looking at, I'm not a numbers person per se. I mean, every once in a while I check to see if I have enough money in the bank to pay some bills. But, but it is nice to be able to see the attendance increase. We've been running now. I mean, when we first came here, it was in the 20s, the 30s, and now we're running in the 50s attendance. And so, okay, now we hit in the 50s, let's, let's go to the 60s and 70s, and let's just keep bringing them in, all right? Thank you for coming. Invite somebody out. I know some of you have done this on a regular basis. There's some of our regulars that couldn't not be here. We're not able to be here today, but uh, we're glad you came, all right? I'd, I'd rather be here than in prison, okay? But as I said before, it's possible I may go to prison someday if I stand for Christ. Hopefully it will be the right reason. And you're going to come and visit me, right? Please. But I'd really rather be here, all right? We want you to stay for our... What's that? <laughs> Pray for the angels to come. <laughs> Open up the doors like they did for Peter. Uh, so please consider staying with us. We have food back there and... We want you to enjoy a meal with us and be a blessing to somebody. I know the tendency is just to stay with your friends. And that's okay. You have to watch and guard those children. I understand, okay? But why not interact with somebody who looks ugly? I mean, somebody who's not nice. I mean, whatever. Just interact. Make sure you welcome people. Make them feel welcome here. We have lots of needs. Pray for one another. All of you have your own set of needs. We don't always know what they are, but pray for one another. Encourage one another. 
That's why we're here, okay? We're called upon to encourage one another. And uh, we've got a lot of bad news out there all the time, and uh, we can have good news shared amongst, amongst us. All right, so let's pray. Thank the Lord for the food, and then we'll dis be dismissed. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship and how you've blessed in many ways here. Excitement about Zelda and getting baptized, and I pray that her life might always shine for you. We see that now. We want her to shine for you in the days ahead, for her family as well. Thank you for the visitors and family members that could come here, Lord. I pray that you would just bless our time together and the fellowship and the food. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.